Hey, Valley family, welcome to week number one uh, in our brand new series that we're calling Talking Points. Man, I've been looking forward to and working on this series for, for a couple months at least. Uh, and we're inside now three weeks before uh, our national elections that are going to be held in November. And uh, I, I really wanted to set aside this time for us to really kind of take a, a different look at, at a lot of what's going on around us in our nation today uh, involving politics. Uh, this series, this three-part series that we're going to, uh, we're launching here today, uh, I just want to make you this promise. It's going to make you uncomfortable. I think it's going to make every one of us uncomfortable. And I think also if we'll take it to heart, it's going to make every one of us better than we are right now. And, and so, you know, it's really impossible when you think about it to stay away from the topic of religion in church, right? Uh, I mean, that's, that's what it's all about, really. Uh, but, but I usually try to stay away from politics as much as possible, and I think that will become really, really clear uh, in the message as we, we dive into it uh, here today. Uh, but when the topic of politics intersects uh, the teachings of Jesus, I have a responsibility to speak about it and to speak to it. And that's what I'm going to be doing these next three weeks, this week included uh, in this brand new series called Talking Points. And so I want to invite you, go ahead and pull up our church website, our message notes that are going to be right there. Those are my notes. You're going to probably want to add some to what you hear today, but you'll also be able to look back. And then you can email it to yourself, and you'll have those to look back on uh, in the future. Uh, because Here's the great concern that I have as a pastor, as a spiritual leader, and a leader in our community, and that is that the division in the church that is created by our current political climate, it completely intersects the words of Jesus Christ. And I know that there are some that have said, Greg, you need to be more political. I've even had some that have said, you need to be less political, and I think both are wrong, completely wrong. And I think that's going to become really, really clear. And like I said, so, so m many of us, if not all of us, are going to be real uncomfortable. But I encourage you to just kind of like, you know, gather yourself, have courage, and just make a real priority to, to hear every one of these messages and take them to heart. Uh, since our church is, is large, uh, it's diverse, is geographically dispersed. I, I think we're really particularly set up to be divided. And the reality is nothing divides like politics. And here's the reason why. Because nothing divides like fear. And a big, huge part of politics is fear. It is real, real interesting that 365 times in the Bible... It says, fear not. One for every day of the year, God says, fear not. And yet politics always is about fear. And you can, reason is, you can make a whole lot of money. You can raise a whole lot of money peddling fear. And so we hear things like this that are all about fear-mongering and making you afraid and making me afraid. Uh, the Republicans are trying to take away our vote. The Democrats are trying to take away our guns. Be afraid, be afraid. If the president is reelected, it's the end of the world as we know it. If a socialist Democrat is elected, it's the end of the world as we know it. 
Fear, 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 fear. And I don't know why anyone would want me to preach more fear on people. I don't understand that. Because politics is fear. And the thing is, the more you make people afraid, oh, you can also give us $25, $50, $100 to my election campaign. That's the nature of politics. And, And so there's a lot that God has to say about fear is not from God. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Fear is a demonic spirit that is prevailing and produced by the political process. And it's real important that we open our eyes and realize when we're being manipulated by fear so that we do what other people want us to do rather than what Jesus Christ wants us to do. What exactly is it that you and I fear? When fear just twists us, manipulates us so much, what is it that, that really we're afraid of? One word, loss. We're afraid of loss. We're afraid of losing control. We're afraid of losing opportunity. We're afraid of losing our wealth, our, our culture, our freedom, our progress. White people fear what might happen. Our black and brown brothers and sisters fear what has already happened in history and could happen again. And so for them, it's not a theory. For them, it's actually history. And so fear of loss. We're at, the time, we're at a time in our culture when everyone is peddling fear. And if we're not careful, you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, we will fall prey to fear political fear-mongering. Just turn on the nightly news. Just churning out, producing fear as much as possible to get you and I to do what they want us to do, which most of the time is contrary to what God wants you and I to do. That's why this series is so really incredibly important. And I think it's really important that I just say this on the front end. I think we ought to, every person who can, I think you ought to vote. I think it's our civic responsibility. But I never think we should pull the lever out of fear. If we are, I dare say we're not voting for who it is God wants us to. If, it's, if the motivation for our vote is fear, fear of loss. And so we have a whole political uh, spectrum, really, uh, in our church, and I love it that way. If you're looking to be a part, you want to be a part of a church where everyone thinks the same, everyone has the same political perspective, uh, that's not the Valley family. If you want to be a part of a church like that, uh, you're going to have to look further because uh, uh, you're going to find differing opinions, different perspectives, different cultures, different political perspectives as well in the Valley family. And I love that about our diverse and, and dispersed geographically uh, family that we have. We have an unprecedented opportunity, I believe, as a Valley family uh, for us to model to our community and really probably even to our country what, what life is really supposed to look like. And what Jesus wants for you and for me is this, that, that you and I really would be able to disagree politically, but we would love unconditionally. This is what Jesus has called us to. That we would be able to disagree politically, but love unconditionally. And so let me ask you a question. Is this what you want? Or do you want everyone to agree with your personal opinion? And and your love for them is based on if they agree with you or not. 
And if that's the case, I just want to say this. You're living far below a child of God should ever live. That, that's a worldly, carnal mindset. What Jesus has called you and I to do is that we can disagree politically, but we're called to love even those that we disagree with, love them unconditionally. Is that what you want? Can, can you do that? Can you disagree with someone politically and yet still love them without any condition on it whatsoever? I'm not talking about just being nice to them. I'm not talking about like, okay, you know, but you still roll your eyes. I, I'm more to the point, let me put it this way, of this whole series is this. If we'll just go to the next question. Are you willing to elevate your, your politics through the filter of your faith rather than create a version of faith that supports your politics? Boy, that's, that's, the, whole, that's the whole enchilada for this series. Are you and I willing to evaluate our politics through the filter of our faith rather than create a version of faith that supports our politics. For many of us, we've got the wrong filter. We have our political filter, and we view the Bible through our political filter. And it's funny, both Democrat and Republican believe Jesus is on their side. And you can find some proof text, some verse out of context, to prove your political point on both sides of the coin. But that's viewing the Bible through a political filter. And the right view is this. Jesus says, this is the perspective that we view politics through the filter of what God's word says first. And you know what? Democrat and Republican, they're both wrong. Neither one of them has the full counsel of God. Neither one of them in their party platforms, it says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in the United States as it is in heaven. So both of them at best are half in error. At best. And that's why when we argue and squabble about politics as Christians who Jesus Christ died for, we're actually living in a worldly mindset as we looked at in our Daniel series. That's the Babylonian mentality that the world wants to pull you and I in. That is not the mind of Jesus Christ. And so are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of our faith rather than create a version of faith that supports our politics? Are you willing to follow Jesus even if doing so creates space between you and your political party or the, the platform of your candidate? Are you willing to follow Jesus to the point that like, I can no longer follow that political party or that candidate because they're so out of alignment? with my Savior and with my Lord? See, that's the question. That's the real question. Most Christians aren't. And apparently Jesus saw this coming. I'm not talking about the election. I'm talking about division amongst his people, the family of God. In John chapter 17, it records Jesus' prayer before his rest. And he prays for you, and he prays for me. And he had a prayer request, and as odd as it was, I mean, can you imagine, like, okay, anyone got a prayer request? And Jesus raises his hand. It's amazing what Jesus prayed for and what he didn't pray for. And I want to look at what he prayed for because it has everything to do with this huge question right here. 
It has everything to do with politics in America as we are Christians and how we're supposed to relate to it. In John chapter 17, verse 1, it says, After Jesus said this, he looked toward the heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. He's like, this is it. This is, I'm about to go and lay my life down. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. In other words, shine your light on your son that I can shine your light through me. This is his prayer. And it goes on in verse 11 and says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they, that's you and me, that's the disciples and us that would come later, they're still in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Now watch this. Protect them. And he's asking, he's praying his last prayer request for you and for me is that God would protect us. Protect us from what? This is so powerful, don't miss it. Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that, what do they, God, protect my followers. Protect them. Protect them from what? So that they may be one as we are one. Jesus' prayer request is, God, protect my people from dividing over things that don't really matter. Personal preferences and even politics. That's Jesus' prayer. And it's shocking to me how many Christians are argumentative dug in on political positions and refuse to be a part of answering Jesus' prayer. Would rather divide and sever relationships with other Christians than be a part of fulfilling Jesus' last prayer request. Father, protect them by the power of your name, that they'll be unified around your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Too many times I think we're not concerned about the things that Jesus is concerned about. Jesus' last prayer before he was crucified, God, protect my people, my followers from dividing, from being divided. That's what he was obsessed with as he went to the cross. And then goes on in verse 20, John chapter 17, he's still praying. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. And what's his prayer for us specifically? That all of them may be what? One, unified. That they would be unified together without divisions. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus makes it clear. When his followers are unified, it is a global witness that he is who he said he is. Why do we wonder we have so little influence in our current culture and in our current world as Christians? You know why? Because we allow divisions and we actually think it's okay. We divide over personal preferences, over politics, over all these different things. When Jesus said, God, 
Let them be one. Let them be unified. Because Jesus is greater than all of those opinions, all of those political persuasions. He's greater. And you know what happened? That the world may believe that you sent me. In the first century, this meant unifying as, as men and women put their faith in Jesus Christ, it meant the Jews and Gentiles unifying. The Romans and the, centuri- uh, the Samaritans, women and slaves and freedmen and soldiers and tax collectors uh, and educated and wealthy and uneducated and those that are impoverished, they unified and they changed the world in one generation, fulfilling Jesus' prayer. How about you? How about me? Are, are, we, are we really concerned about fulfilling the prayer of Jesus Christ? Because he says that's the only way that the world is going to believe in him is that if you and I get our stuff together, stop squabbling, and we unify. Not around a political perspective. Not around a, a political candidate. But around the Savior, the Son of God who came to live a sinless life and lay that life down for you and for me on the cross and rise again from the dead three days later, that we would be forgiven, that anyone and everyone who received that sacrifice that he made for them would be forgiven of our sins and we become one. We would be unified. One is the win. What does that look like in the 21st century? That means that We need to unify as believers. Brown, black, white, rich, middle class, single, married, privileged, Republican, Democrat, independent, indecisive. All that sounds just like, you know, that sounds impossible, doesn't it? That's just not possible. But Jesus was convinced not only was it possible, but the very mission of the church was at stake, and it was mission critical. That this was not just impossible, but it was also imperative. It was imperative that you and I were one. So we should be intentional about making this a reality, I think, in Valley Christian Church, in our church right here, right now, that we would not put up with those who want to divide us and split us up over fear, particularly when it comes to the political process and the political season that you and I are in right now. We have to be intentional. We have to be intentional. This doesn't come naturally. That's why Jesus prayed for it. He goes on, let's go back to John chapter 17. That's why he prayed for it. He says, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. It goes on, uh, actually, you know, fast forward, uh, uh, or rather in another place in John, in John chapter 13, Right before, when, when Jesus took the Passover meal and communion, as, as we, we, uh, we like to refer to it as, look at what he said in John chapter 13. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. After he washed the disciples' feet. So you must love one another. By this, everyone, there it is again, by your love, your unconditional love for one another, your unity, 
By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you divide, if you polarize, if you push to the edges and you make that your identity the way Babylon wants to identify you and label you, Democrat, Republican, conservative, progressive, then we will not be who God created you and I to be. We are settling for mud pies when God has prepared for us something so much greater uh, 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 as big as the ocean. We're squabbling and fighting in the mud. Just as I loved you. And by the way, I do want to point out, and we'll get more into this next week. Jesus said this after he washed the disciples' feet. That included Judas. That included Peter, who was going to deny that he even knew him three times. That included the disciples that went and ran and hid out of fear. And Jesus knew it was going to happen. And he still loved unconditionally. This is what you and I are called to. In the church family, in the body of Christ at large, globally, he's bigger than any nation. Jesus is. And and even those that don't agree with us, that are diametrically opposed to God and the gospel itself, Jesus Christ and everything he stands for. One is the win. And so basically here, you know, it's like, it's like Jesus is just, when, when he's praying there in, in, uh, in John 17 and even what he says to the disciples here, it's like he's just saying, God, please, please protect them from Choosing sides, dividing. That's what we're going to talk about next week, choosing sides. Back to Jesus in John chapter 17. He continues to pray and says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be, there it is, be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete Unity. That's what Jesus wants from you. That's what Jesus wants from me, without condition, without exemption, without excuse. That we would be one. That we would be unified. And we would recognize the demonic powers in this world that want to pull us apart, separate us, and divide us. And just as we learn in the Daniel dilemma, it wasn't without accident, it was intentional that we looked at that first. We would stand firm in a culture of compromise. That's what he wants. You and I to answer his prayer. Just like Christians, just like you and me, answered the prayer of Jesus and unified instead of dividing. In the first century, in the second century, in the third century, and turn the world upside down. It's so important. Jesus recognized here that, uh, as he said this, let them be unified, let them be one. Jesus recognized that, that in order for us to fulfill the reason why we're alive on the planet, 
We have to have one unified purpose. We have to have one message, and that's the message of Jesus Christ. And we have one command. Love one another just exactly like Jesus has loved us. Without exemption and without excuse. One purpose, one message, one command. You see, your candidate come November is going to win or lose based on how America votes on that first Tuesday in November. But Valley Christian Church will win or lose based on how we behave between now and the election and after the election. The Church of Jesus Christ will win or lose based on how we conduct ourselves based on what we post on social media, based on if we show that we are unified together and we love unconditionally, or we prefer to stoop down to the world and divide the way the world wants us to divide. That's how we'll win, or that's how we will lose. We must not let anything divide us, and we must not let anyone divide us. And I think, could I put it this way? As a church family, I think it's time to adopt a zero tolerance to division. I mean no tolerance whatsoever, no excuses that we just really call each other out. When we choose to live worldly and divisive instead of unified and together as one. Not to let anyone divide us. And listen, that, that's the agenda of, of Babylon. That's the agenda of the world. Let issues divide us. Let people divide us. No, we're not going to do that. Zero tolerance for division. Remember, it was Christianity, not a political party, that shaped Western civilization. It was the teachings of Jesus, not any political parties, that laid the groundwork for our modern sense of justice, fairness, and unity. All of those things, the concept of justice and fairness and unity come out of the words of Jesus Christ. They're his concepts. And that's why when we pull him away from it, all that's left is a shell, a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And so I think it's important that we realize, again, justice, fairness, and dignity, all for the individual, go back to the teachings of Jesus. And throughout our very short history as a nation, both current parties, the reality is, have gotten it completely wrong. Christianity introduced these values. Jesus introduced these values to humanity. And and both political parties have, have messed this up over the real short history of our nation. Uh, Political leaders from both parties have fallen short morally and fallen short in their leadership as well. And during our short history, several parties, and think about it, we're so passionate, Democrat or Republican. You know, there have been several parties that began, political parties that began in the the beginning part of our nation that don't even exist anymore. Like, how, how many of you are still in the Whig Party? The Whig Party? No, it's gone. It was the first political party in the United States. Or how about the Federalists? The, the Federalist Party, uh, that was actually uh, Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton started the Federalist Party. It's gone. Whew. 
And yet so many people, why would we be willing as followers of an eternal king to allow ourselves to be divided by temporarily elected officials when we serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? I I mean, I don't know, but Democrats are not here for all eternity. Republican Party is not here for all eternity. Jesus Christ is going to be here for all eternity. Why settle for taking a stand down here when Jesus is high above all of it? And by the way, I know this might ruffle some feathers. Jesus doesn't love Americans any more than he loves any other nation. And he's not an American. I'll say this. I was counting it up, Susie and I, we've traveled like 11 different nations in this world. And uh, I'll tell you, if you've, you've been into some of the places we have, you come back, there is no nation on the earth like this, like this nation. It's not perfect, but I'll tell you what, there's just no nation, nowhere near, not even close. I'm so grateful, I'm thankful that God chose for me to live in this nation. At the same time, I think it's important that we realize uh, we have never been a Christian nation. I think it's important we don't drink the Kool-Aid on that. A Christian nation would never have tolerated the enslavement of a race of people. That's not a Christian nation. Maybe founded on some Christian principles or ideas, but there is nothing godly about enslaving a race of people for hundreds of years. That is not a Christian nation. In fact, what we're going to find next week is this. It was Christians in the Roman Empire that took a stand, and that's when slavery began to be outlawed in the Roman Empire because Christians said, no, we refuse to allow this to happen to someone who was made in the image of God. So important that we realize God is bigger than our nation, and he's bigger than the nations of the world, and we are supposed to put him first above all else. Why would we let someone divide us or a political party or person when when our perspectives may very well change? Why would we let a political view divide us from a living and breathing you? A living and breathing person. I'm talking about the you sitting beside you right now. I'm talking about the you next door to you, in the next cubicle to you. I'm talking about the you that you're related to that you're already dreading Thanksgiving just because of their political perspective that they hang on to and the political perspective you hang on to instead of hanging on to Jesus greater than either one of those. Why would you allow divisions to happen? Why would we put a political point or perspective above any human being and sever relationships? Why would we settle for lesser kings than our Savior, King Jesus? Jesus' prayer is that you and I would be undivided. That you and I would be undivided. And so I want to give you a couple of tips, two real practical ways that you and I can be undivided. And I want to make this real practical because I think it's time that we practically start to actually do something different in the direction of godliness instead of worldliness when it comes to politics. First thing is this, I want to encourage you to pray for oneness. 
If your heart is not breaking for our nation, it's time to take a heart check. I might even put it this way. If, if you haven't shed tears crying out to God in prayer, please don't post any political stuff, propaganda. If you've not allowed your heart to break and pour out before a holy God in prayer, because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, the Bible says. They're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Main weapon is prayer. Prayer and God's word. And boy, I just want to tell you, we've been experiencing a powerful time of prayer in our Saturday morning prayer right here in Hopewell. As we've been, Susie and I, each week, and we'll do it right up to the election, leading those that come in prayer of repentance and returning back to God on behalf of our nation. And I invite you to come out every Saturday at 8 o'clock. We have that live and in person with social distancing and everything. We need to be undivided. So let me just share this real easy, simple prayer with you right now. Heavenly Father, make us one so that we can influence many. We'll never influence many if we're not one. Unified around Jesus. And so I want to invite you right now to to say this prayer with me right now, okay? Heavenly Father, make us one so that we can influence many. Let's do it one more time. Heavenly Father, make us one so that we can influence many. Jesus said, when my followers are one, when they're unified, the world will know that I am who I said I am, that I am the Savior. But as long as we settle for for arguing over cracks in the sidewalks, things that don't matter, we will not fulfill and answer the prayer of Jesus Christ. Pray pray this for for the Valley Christian Church family. And, And second, look for an opportunity, if you really, really want to make a difference, look for an opportunity to love unconditionally someone with whom you disagree politically. And I know some of you might be like, I don't have any friends that disagree with me politically. Yeah, that's the problem. That's totally the problem. Look for an opportunity to love unconditionally someone with whom you disagree with politically. Uh, That may be a little bit harder than than it normally is. Uh, So let let your light shine brighter than it normally does. And I know kind of like the little pushback here is like, you know, Greg, that's kind of naive. You, you know, do you really think that, you know, if we just kind of unify together, we just kind of love each other, that, that all of a sudden this world is going to change? I don't think it's so naive at all. It already happened. History has recorded it. It's not naive at all that a first century rabbi from nowhere standing out in the hot Syrian sun with 12 young men made this audacious audacious promise. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. No political party will overcome it. No worldly king will overcome it. No empire will ever overcome it. He said this while his followers were under the brutal dictatorship of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is gone. His followers are still here. I don't think it's naive. History is recorded. It actually works. 
just the way that Jesus said it would work. He said, I'll build my church. Everything else will fall, but not my church. The literal, the gates of hell will not be able to stand against my church. He did it. They did it. And we're a part of it. And our oneness is the key to fueling our generation to fulfilling Jesus' prayer. And so let's disagree politically, but let's love unconditionally. Let's pray for unity. And let's make sure that we don't miss part two of talking points as we talk about choosing sides next week. I also want to encourage you with this. One way that you can find people that don't agree with you politically and an opportunity for diversity and to love unconditionally is in our valley groups. Right now we have almost 250 people involved in our valley small groups. And today, on Sunday here, this is the last day to to sign up for most of those groups because they're getting full to capacity and, and, and aren't going to have much room left. But I encourage you, if you haven't joined a group, that's a practical place where you can Meet people that aren't like you, don't, don't have the same background as you, the same cultural, not necessarily the same economic background. And yet we can love each other unconditionally. We can disagree politically. We can love unconditionally. And we can pray for unity. And right now I'd like to pray. Would you bow your heads with me and join me? Heavenly Father, Lord, I know this is, this is difficult. I know this is challenging because for so many of us, we have looked at the Bible through the filter of our political preferences instead of looking at politics through the filter of your word that is truth. So God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just continue to speak to our hearts, Lord. Massage our hearts, Lord. Mold our hearts, Lord that we would commit that we can disagree politically but we will love unconditionally just as Jesus commanded us to do that the world will truly know because of our oneness our unity that we stand against division the world will know that Jesus is who you sent as the Savior of this world. May we answer the prayer of Jesus in our generation. In his name we pray. Amen.